Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Got a great show for you today. Moved it around one day because I was checking in with our baseball correspondent, Colin Brister, who is a uh, coach, basketball and baseball coach now. Mississippi so uh he uh his schedule is moving around so we ended up chatting on Wednesday night but a great conversation that started out with some basketball top and then what we really came for was the baseball uh hopefully it's a conversation like I thought it was framed in a way that most of you will probably have like with yourself while watching this team this year and I guess what I mean by that is like the hesitancy to buy back in and where that stems from, why it's happening, and then what this team will actually look like this year because it should be one of the best offenses in college baseball, if not the best offense. Pretty decent in the bullpen, probably better collectively. And then, you know, can they find a couple starting pitchers to be good enough on the mound in a league where the pitching is kind of – I don't want to say dropped off, but anyway, starting pitching not necessarily as strong as is at the top in a lot of years in the SEC. So a lot of conversation about that, how, uh, how the fan base is approaching the year and, uh, you know, what the team needs to do to get over the hump and go to Omaha in a very simplistic sense. So, anyway, before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the handicapping industry. Need to check these guys out. Hopefully you were still uh, – Cashing and spending your winnings from two weeks ago when Skybox had the legendary 56-unit two-day weekend on college basketball. They're crushing it in the NFL. You need to check these guys out. If you're into sports wagering, it's kind of the peak time, right? You've got NFL playoffs, college basketball, March Madness coming up around the corner. You need to use Skybox because they're going to consistently lead you to profit because their model is proven to last. It's based on data and algorithms and analytics and all that nerd stuff that makes you money, not your own dumb brain. So you need to check these guys out. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range, whether that's one sport centric, all sports, you can do it for a month, a week. I'd recommend the year long all sports pass going to pay for itself. And then some probably paid for itself in that one weekend alone. We need to check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Go get consistently led to profit. Make your uh, bookie kick you off the book. Uh, you know, probably if you have your bookie accuse you, of being a sharp, Skybox has done its job. Use the promo code RIPPY for 20% off. That lets them know that we sent you, and it's a discount. So I don't – discount. I can't talk today. I don't know why you wouldn't use it. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcasts also are brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg, soon to be the Glugstat location. We broke some news on the podcast last week. Greg opened up a second store this spring in Glugstat, just sharing his – Gift of meat to the world. I know that's some impeccable phrasing there, but in all seriousness, Oxford is so lucky to have LBs. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, you get a uh, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Type in your email, you get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week. Actually, in the process of writing today's uh, as we speak, and you get discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16 ounce prime strips for 20 bucks and a five dollar pack of sausage. Used to be 15, but you can uh, you can blame inflation for that. Uh, check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go find your own favorites, all kinds of fresh seafood, crab stuff, mushrooms, all kinds of delicious sausages. I love the uh, ribeye sausage. Filet burgers are always awesome. There's all kinds of great stuff there. Greg wants to make your grilling experience terrific. You need to go check him out. LB's University Avenue. And soon, 
to be Gluckstadt, Mississippi. How about that? Anyway. All right, before we get to Colin Brister, I wanted to do a couple basketball thoughts at the top. That's right, everybody's favorite topic, right? I'm sure everyone was locked in to that Missouri game last night, or two nights ago, I guess, at this point by the time you're listening to this. And I was going to – I had a couple thoughts written down, but Colin and I ended up inadvertently getting to it uh, at just at the top of us talking, which tends to happen with Colin and I a lot. We just get off on a tangent about something that's not baseball-related and go into that. Just kind of happens. So I don't want to be too repetitive. So I'll leave the uh, basketball – unintended basketball thoughts to itself in the conversation you're about to hear. But I will pose one question that we didn't necessarily get to here in a second with Colin. And that's this. And as I was watching that game the other night, that's as bad of an Ole Miss basketball game as I have seen in quite some time. Ole Miss lost by, what, 23 points to Missouri? That's a 7-9 and nine Missouri team with a net in the mid-200s. Yeah, not kidding. 7-9 and nine Missouri came into Oxford and won by 23 points. It, that game should have been played in the tad pad. There should have been a, a leak from the ceiling there should have been the depressing dimming lights. It should have looked like a rocket ship that was burnt at the top, kind of like the Tadpad roof. Like that would have been more fitting for a scene like the one Tuesday night because one, there was no one there. It didn't seem like, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe some of you went, it was very poorly attended. I get it. Six o'clock Tuesday game. And two, it's an unwatchable product. Let's just call a spade a spade here. And again, like I said, I don't want to be too repetitive because Colin and I cover this in a second, but the one question I will leave you with, with all of that in mind, should it be this bad? Should this team really be this bad? Yes, you lose Jarkel Joyner. That's your leading scorer on an already offensive challenge team. And if you've read the newsletter, this probably is repetitive because this is something I wrote about last week, but I think it really came to fruition last night. Should it be this bad? Ole Miss is getting run out of the gym by what we thought was the second worst team in the SEC in Missouri, that title probably belongs to Ole Miss now. And when Ole Miss gets together with Georgia and Athens on February 19th, you will be the uh, ultimate battle for Southeastern Conference ineptitude. Georgia's, I think, the worst team, but Missouri's the second worst. And they ran Ole Miss out of the gym last night, or two nights ago, sorry. Should it be this bad? Losing your leading score sucks. Losing a, a front court option that provides you rebounding team captain and defense, Rob Allen, sucks. It, 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 that's, but there's a lot of real estate between what happened last night and altering your expectations from what you thought could be a competitive team that finishes middle of the pack in the Southeastern Conference and, you know, maybe sneak its way into the NCAA tournament. That's what you kind of thought at the beginning of the year. But there's a lot of real estate between – that what happened last night and the beginning of the season's expectations, even when you lose two guys. That was absolutely unwatchable. I went and got food at halftime for uh, myself and my girlfriend, and I literally spent half the drive sitting there going, how in the world did I just dedicate 45 minutes of my time to that? Like, could this be better spent somewhere else? Like, I, I was honestly impressed with myself for being able to watch it. It's that bad. They went eight and a half minutes without a field goal. Excuse me, they went eight and, a half, eight and a half minutes without a basket of any kind. Kermit Davis used every single timeout he had in the first half. And Kermit loves to do the panic, like timeout substitution when he gets pissed off after a defensive lapse. If a team, if the opponent scored a couple baskets in a row, he'll call a timeout, yank somebody. It's almost like a reflex, but he was almost doing it to make a point. And I'm not even sure what the point is at that point. That's all I said point a lot there, but you get what I'm getting at. Like, it, it really just made it more of a clown show. Using all of your timeouts 
again, the first half doesn't really accomplish anything. It certainly wasn't stopping the flow of the game. And to be honest, when you use three of those timeouts, you didn't get a basket out of any of those in an eight-minute stretch. And that, to me, perfectly encapsulates the offensive ineptitude of this team. And that's what it boils down to. Should the offense be this bad without Joyner? I would argue no. You have a McDonald's All-American on the floor in Deshaun Ruffin. Yes, you're very shorthanded uh, when it comes to ball handlers with Crowley out. That hurts too. But again, this wasn't a good product with Crowley and with Joyner. And yes, it's a weirdly constructed roster, and the imbalance of guard to forwards is further – it was already a flawed roster. That's something that's got to change. We've talked about that. But now the imbalance is only further. But it shouldn't really be this bad with Jamie, a healthy Jamie and Brakefield out there a healthy Deshaun Ruffin, a healthy Matthew Morell. Should the offense be this bad? I get losing games, but how is this team going to get to 55 points on a given night? I mean, 8 of 31 from the field in the first half, 3 of 15 from the three-point line. And it's it's jarring. It, it really is. It, it's, it's, it's hard to watch, one. Two, it's – it looks like a different sport. And look, I, people love to say that about the NBA and college basketball, and there's a bajillion different reasons for that. I don't necessarily think it's a fair comparison. This looks like a different sport than what other teams in this league are doing on a different night. Wait, did you watch Auburn and Alabama last week? It's a hell of a basketball game. Did you watch LSU-Kentucky a couple weeks ago? Hell, did you watch Texas A&M in Kentucky on Wednesday night? That was as big of a slobber knocker, like kind of gritty defensive battle as you could possibly get. And it was still compelling basketball. And that looked like a different sport than whatever Ole Miss does on the offensive end of the floor. Again, should it be this bad? Because in addition to that, Kermit catches a lot of criticism. And this is something that Bracken and I have talked about before a couple times. He gets a lot of criticism for running that dribble weave constant motion offense. And, you know, Kermit's forgotten more basketball than I'll ever learn. And I'm not about to be this guy that starts wondering from a schematic standpoint and a draw up standpoint, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you running off the baseline? Why are you not doing a zipper cut? That type of stuff. Because I think that's kind of blowhardish, and I don't really know enough about what I'm talking about to do that. But I will pose this. They haven't changed anything. They, they haven't seemingly changed the way they've played at all, despite losing their leading score, despite losing a post presence that provided you a lot of rebounding and defense, but something offensively in Robert Allen. And then you lost another guard in Austin Crowley, who doesn't provide you a ton offensively, but you're down another ball handler. and they seemingly haven't changed anything. And I don't know what the what that motion offense, particularly at the perimeter, is supposed to look like when it's working well, but they don't screen anybody. And maybe that's part of the intent. I, again, I end up, I don't know, but watch when that thing gets going, when the big comes out to start it and screens the guy around the top of the key or a little bit deeper than like the, not the free throw line extended, but the wing. Like they don't screen anyone. Like, there's not a whole lot of movement. It's a lot of dribbling with guys that can't beat dudes off the dribble other than Ruffin. They don't screen anyone. There's no creativity out of it. Again, it's a moot point because this year is what it is. But from a product standpoint, there's a level of acceptability that's really just not being met, no matter how shorthanded you are. Do you remember that team that AK had? I can't remember what year it is, but they were supposed to be a pretty good basketball team. But they had, like, four dudes tear their ACL. Chris Warren was one. I believe Neil Polonese, if you remember that name, pretty good wing player for Ole Miss, and Trevor Gaskins also had knee injuries. So that was just – I actually went and looked this up. I paused this in, in the middle of this take. 08 season, 08, 09 season, Trevor Gaskins and Neil Polonese and Chris Warren, three pretty big scorers on that team, all tear their ACL or have a knee injury. doesn't really matter. Do you know what that team did? 
the team finished 16 and 15 and seven and nine in the SEC and averaged 72 points a game and allowed 72 points a game. They were aggressively averaged down three scores, two guards and a wing. I can't remember if Trevor Gaskins was a forward or not. I don't actually remember talking about what he did, but he, I remember him being a swing guy. You get the point. And I hate doing this Kermit to AK thing, but I think it's comparable. That team was at least a decent product to watch. He got a lot out of – was that kid's name? Will Bogan that ended up back at Valpo that year. You got a little bit of the Kevin Cantona experience. You got, you know, a younger Murphy Holloway got some playing time. Zach Graham, Tariko White. Like, they, they ended up piecing it together. I mean, you had David Huartes, which was, uh, which was helpful. But they were not an unwatchable product. And they went 7-9 and nine in the Southeastern Conference that year. Down three dudes, three real dudes. And this team is just – it wasn't good when they had them. And I'm just curious, again, should it be this bad? They're just completely inept offensively. And, you know, Kermit's making – trying to make a point or whatever he's doing during that stretch in the first half where he calls all of his timeouts. Well, how many of those timeouts did it, was a basket drawn up? And some of that is players not plays, but at a certain point, my God. So I, I commend this team. I don't want to say it's an effort thing. Because if you look at the way they defend, that's really not true. Like, I think one of the telltale signs of a team that's mailed it in is how they play defensively. And, you know, you'll hear me say this again in a minute. I apologize for being repetitive, but, like, this team still guards, and it amazes me how well they guard sometimes given what they are doing on the other end or not doing on the other end. So, again, the season is what it is. I think they have a built-in excuse in terms of, you know, why, you know, cashing this off or passing this off or writing this off is um, a lost year where you lose Joyner for an extended amount of time. You lose Robert Allen, but should it be this bad? I think the answer is no. And I'm curious if it remains this bad, if the expectation or the narrative, my favorite word starts to shift, because if that comes out for that product on Tuesday night comes out for 15, 14 hour, many games they have left. Uh, you're going to see an empty pavilion. And uh, a lot of people notice that, including the people that are in charge of the hiring and the firing. And you're going to have widespread apathy. And that poisons a program, and that'll cut a coach's tenure short, quicker than just about anything else non-scandal related. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know anything. I'm not saying it should happen. But there's a standard there that is not being met. And it's about as boring and unwatchable of a product that I can remember an Ole Miss basketball team having, and honest to God, in any sport. I don't want to do the cross-sport comparison, but 2011, Ole Miss football, what's up? I'll be interested to see if it gets better the rest of the year. Here is Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on the official Rippy Wrights baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. Long time no talk. I was uh, We were just talking off air about how I uh, – I probably made the call to the bullpen about a week or so early because of how terrible this basketball team is. But I'm glad to talk to you because that, uh, that means baseball season around the corner. We both love college baseball. Honestly, this podcast in my brain will kind of forever be synonymous with Ole Miss baseball because as we went and kind of turned – you know, when I texted you last uh, March when we were starting the podcast, the newsletter, I was like, you want to talk some baseball sometimes? And then it turned out – to be an hour and a half to two hours Sunday extravaganza that really allowed the pod to take off. So we're really going back to our roots here. I just threw a lot at you. What's up? Not much, not much. Yeah. It's uh, you had to go, had to, had to call the bullpen a week early. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going good, man. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny how this thing is taking off for, for, for you over with, uh, 
with the podcast. But yeah, it's uh it's taken off, and we're like what uh, three weeks from baseball season, four weeks. I hadn't done the math in my head. I've been I've been busy, but uh, yeah, we're uh we're almost there from uh from a Friday, I guess afternoon at Swayze uh, when Ole Miss taking the field. Yeah, we uh we are right at. I can't do the math either. I wouldn't even try, even if I wanted <laughs> to. But right under thirty days. I remember seeing that the other day, and that's why I didn't feel as bad about yeah. you yeah. for a pod segment. So we're under a month. Um, but yeah, dude, it's nuts. It's it's been wild to think the last time we did a pod probably around the draft but really like the the Arizona super exit out things have changed but you're definitely the uh the co-pilot in this ship going to the moon along with the listeners out there but I appreciate that I'm uh excited for another ride it's kind of here before we know it uh as I was saying at the top I was mostly joking or not I wasn't mostly joking I was being dead serious the reason I called you is because not a ton of people want to talk hoops right now do you have anything do you have any hoops thoughts to add they used all their timeouts and a half last night and went eight minutes without a basket. What do you have any analysis to offer? All right. So, so to be completely fair, and I do want to, I mean, I want to premise this with, with this, I have not watched the last three games. Um, two of them, we had basketball games that I had to help coach in. And then uh, Saturday I was watching the bills and pads. And even when Ole Miss got up, I convinced myself like, Hey, the reason they're up is I'm not watching. So I just continued to not watch. Um, it's the – from when I did watch, which I guess was against Mississippi State and Tennessee and then most of – I watched most of the non-conference games. Um, it's the worst basketball team they've had since Rod Barnes. I guess maybe AK's last year, but I feel like AK's last year they had some – I mean, hell, they won at Missouri, which was a good team that year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I know that was after AK got fired, but, I mean – even that team had some decent wins, and I, I don't see it at all with this team. It, it just kind of feels like – and even – and I know this is stupid, but, like, even when AK had his bad year, their, his team could still score, it felt like. And if you're going to be bad, I would rather – like, if you're going to be incompetently bad, I would rather be incompetently bad on defense. That way it's at least visually appeasing. Um, and this team is certainly not that. So, uh, well, they may, they may be bad defensively, but God knows they're not good offensively either. Um, it's, it's, it's Barnes level, like end of the rod Barnes level bad right now. It kind of feels like the, uh, the last part you just hit on is something I wrote about in the newsletter a couple of times over the course of the last two weeks is you're right. They're not they're but they're not bad defensively. They're actually pretty good defensively. And yeah. considering how ridiculously, I don't want to say historically, because I've not like looked into the numbers but ridiculously inept they are offensively. It's honestly sometimes kind of amazing to me the effort that they play with defensively. Like last night they were down – I think they were down like 13 late in the first half. It was in the midst of the stretch where they went eight and a half minutes without a basket, and they recorded a steal on two of three possessions. And I'm just sitting there like it's really kind of amazing how well they're defending, which is a weird place to be, but it's so bad offensively. The other part of what you just hit was – you're right. I mean, look, AK had some teams that weren't very good, but they never had trouble scoring the basketball, and that led to a much more exciting product, even if even if that didn't always translate to wins, where this is just a tough pill to swallow every time you turn the television on because there's a stretch in every single game where they go multiple media timeouts without a basket, and that's where the game ends. The game ended last night when they went eight and a half minutes without a basket, and Missouri went up from four to 15 or whatever it was, same thing at A&M, same thing at Auburn. In the Auburn, they were up like double digits, then went like six and a half minutes without a field goal, down five. They're surely not catching you from behind. Like, 
it's the same thing every time. And, man, when you're that inept offensively, it, it makes it very, very tough to watch. You mentioned not watching the last three games. I have a couple of friends that are, you know, pretty big old Miss people. And, yeah. like, the last couple of games, I would say the last pretty much ever since the state win, it's kind of been like – I've been with a couple of them, and they're like, I don't really want to turn this on. Like, we were out somewhere one time, and they're like, do we really want to go somewhere to watch this? So, and everyone at the table was like, no. Like, can we keep the football game on? It's bad. So, that's that's a great way. That's a great point because I'll be honest with you. I ate supper with a friend tonight who is genuinely the, the biggest Ole Miss basketball diehard uh, that I know of, like, to the point that he doesn't – he hasn't missed, like, watching women's games in a long time. Um, and he didn't watch last night. Like, I think he said it was the first game in, like, since since early in the AK era that he hadn't watched. Um, for whatever reason, even at the end of the AK era when everyone probably knew it was over, um, I didn't really sense apathy among the fan base. Is that fair? Like, I didn't sense that people had given up on the product and given up on AK. I just felt like people wanted were, – were ready for a change. Like, I don't even think people are even – pissed off anymore they're just like whatever you know they're gonna play and I'm not gonna watch and uh maybe they'll make a change after the year and I'm not advocating one way or the other as I've said I've not watched three games in a row it's what how was it fair for me to say if they should make a change after year? I have no idea um but it just doesn't seem like there's the level of interest even at the end of that that there was even at the end of the AK era there's no like small pleasure in any part of it I can't believe we're this deep on basketball but to hell with it I don't care you know when you watch a bad NBA team like, you can watch yeah. the Pistons. Like, I mean, I know you're not a huge NBA guy, and I don't watch as much as I probably, like, would like to think I do. But, like, if the Detroit Pistons, for whatever, get put a nationally televised game on, it'll be fun to watch Cade Cunningham. They're horrendous, sure. but it's like, all right, cool, I can watch Cade Cunningham. Or, I mean, LaMelo Ball's not a great example because the Hornets are actually kind of good, but you get my point. There's sure. no Ree and Tyree on this team. And when the last year, AK, like, Terrence Davis was exciting. I remember Terrence Davis's freshman year was like, this guy's absolutely killing them with how reckless he is, but damn, he's fun to watch go up and down the court. There's none of that. There's, I mean, Ruffin's the closest thing they have, but he's a five-nine freshman that, while he, you know, finishes at the rim okay, he gets hunted on defense and he doesn't have much of an outside shot yet. There's just nothing enjoyable to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean that like heart, like in a like a demeaning sense. It's just really a really not a fun product. I don't really know what other way to describe it. And and here's. I know we talk about injuries, and some of that's fair, but, Brian, this is not a good team with Robert Allen and with Austin Crowley. Like, yeah, I, I get it. They beat Memphis. Um, did they beat Dayton, too? I think, but Dayton's not a great team this year. Um, it's not a great team with those guys or a good team with those guys. And I guess maybe I'm weird, um, but when I look down your bench and, like, I don't. I think it's twelve scholarships. Again, I'm no basketball aficionado, but when you've got twelve or thirteen scholarships, and you got three guys on scholarships, or yeah, I think it's three at the end of your bench that can't give you much at all. Like at some point, that seems like a problem, especially when injuries start to mount up. Well, you just kind of uh, uncovered quite the nugget there because it lends itself to the what you what like with what you're basically saying with Jarrell Joiner, it wasn't a great offensive product. I think with right. Joiner and with the health. Yeah, like with Crow, like with the joiner, with the healthy Crowley, with the healthy Robert Allen, Crowley probably the least consequential of the three. But hell, they're sure. a weirdly constructed roster. They need ball handlers. It would have been a struggle offensively, but they're good enough defensively to where I think they would have been a competitive team and given some teams problems 
with having that joiner offense and honestly having a little bit of the Allen offense and rebounding. But what you're saying is correct. Like, it wasn't great offensively when they were fully healthy, and now it's just completely inept, and, like, it shouldn't be that bad. Like, Darko Joyner was not necessarily solving all of their problems. He was struggling. He was a great spot-up shooter, but he was struggling to get to the rim, and it wasn't great with him. They were just good enough defensively to overcome it. Now, without him, they can't because, you know, whatever you think of Joyner, he's 15 points a game, 14 points a game, and not that much of a drop-off when it comes to SEC play. But the last part you just said, they have three dudes that they took out of high school – now, this is weird to say this after a night. Did you, after like, they you played. Last night, they all played. Basically, Kermit right. was just doing that out of protest. Like, let's throw this ginger. Did he, like, literally put those three and, like, John McBride on the floor and was like, let's roll? He was the only one that – John McBride may have played. Granted, I wasn't quite locked into the final 18 <laughs> minutes of that sucker. But the, he, he threw the, the Van whatever kid. He threw Grant. Yeah, Vander Hogan and Slayton. Yeah, and out White. of protest. Could you not have used one of those, maybe two of those, for a transfer guard that could fill it up? Because those aren't exactly scarce commodities in college basketball these no. days. No. Uh, the, the AK found Steph Moody, and I'm not. I'm not saying Kermit should have found the Steph Moody. Uh, you know, in at Florida Gulf Coast or wherever the hell he was. Like, it's finding a guard as big of a defensive liability as he could be, or the things that he doesn't do. Finding a guy that can make a perimeter jump shot and give you 12 a night is not that hard. No, and I mean. To be completely fair, they tried last year and they didn't get some cats. But um, you know, and they brought in Ty Fagan. But and I think Ty's played well at times. Um, but he's not the guy that's going to go light it up and and keep you in a game offensively. Um, you forget where yeah. he is sometimes. You forget he's out there. And if you're a right. primary scorer, that that's just not the primary scorers. You don't forget they're on the floor. He's been good in spots. Right. Though, to your point, sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting. I, I think if you made me guess, and and look, I I have zero basketball sourcing, um, but I think if you made me guess, he's probably going to get next year. But man, here's my issue, and not issue. I, I don't mean issue as in I have a problem giving him next year. I think my issue becomes like, all right, you're going to give him next year. That's fine. Explain to me how this gets better next year. You know, like I, I would like, I'd like a. Uh, <laughs> I'd like a PowerPoint on how this is going to be rectified next year because I don't know if I can be convinced. That it's not so much about this year. It's how in God's name does this get fixed next year because I don't really know what that solution is. I love this. This is Colin Brewster, basketball correspondent. To hell with baseball. We'll get to little man Mike in a second. I'll make the case, and I don't even know if I believe this, but I'll outline you the case. Sure. There's a nice young mm -hmm. core. Deshaun Ruffin is a good, good sure. player. He's going to be a good yes. player. It's – He's in an unfair, I say unfair position. He's given a, he's been given a full plate and a kid that sure. is non-conference season. He's a good scorer. Yeah. Um, and I think he's going to, I mean, he's a McDonald's all American. I think that kid's going to turn into a good player. I do too. There's flashes of morale. It's not been exactly okay. what you wanted to be because look, part of it was because of how hyped up he was as a recruit, but he's got a good stroke. Like he, he doesn't, I, I say that in the sense, like he's not a great shoot, like consistent shooter, but like, you don't go 10 for 11 against a team that plays decent perimeter defense like Mississippi State. They're not always great or a team that talented without having something to you. If you get breakfield for another year, like there's something there. But what you're talking about how it gets fixed is a fundamental change in how you build rosters. Because let's be completely honest, you're building half of a new roster every year in this sport, right? Sure. So on top of that, like or I say on top of that, with that being the case, He's going to have to change how he recruits. Like, no more of this building it around the front court thing. 
and yeah. doing like he's got to go find guards that can score. If you give if he gets two high major or mid major guards to come in here that can score next year, I could see it. But that's going to become a that, that has to become a change in philosophy at a certain point. You know, that's the way yeah. it gets fixed. Here's my problem, and I'm, I'm going to look this up to make sure that what I'm saying is accurate. Yeah, here's another issue that that I maybe have is that guys like KJ Buffin leave. And Brian, he's better at UAB than he was. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. And there's another one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the kid's name is, yeah, Bryce Williams, averaging what, like nine or 10 at Oklahoma State? But yeah. kid could get, get on the floor at Ole Miss. You know what was funny about the Bryce Williams part of it? You're right. You're right. But it was so funny. You would read the Cade Cunningham mocks, and then they'd be like, look who he's playing around. Like, and the Bryce Williams would always be the example. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bryce Williams is on the floor consistently as a starter for a Big 12 program that made the tournament. Like, considering, I don't know what you people that watch NBA think Bryce Williams is or isn't, but for where he came from at Ole Miss, he's more valuable there than he was here. Well, I don't understand how that happens. Kate Cunningham's not on the floor this year, and he's averaging 11 a game. That seems okay, and that's a borderline tournament team. I don't know if they'll end up not well. It. They're ineligible, but yeah. Oh shit! That's right. That, that dear God, Will Wade is still roaming the sidelines. But anyway, um, not in prison and eligible for the tournament. You're right. The only one that hasn't is Blake Henson, and no one seems to know where he's at. I don't think he's still with Iowa State. No, he's not at Iowa State anymore. I don't know where Blake's at. I hope he's doing well. Uh, Dementio Vaughn did the old Ryder, old Miss back to Ryder. He seems to be having an okay year. That's not really a great example. But you're right. Bucks no, yeah, doing well. Uh, Bryce yes. Williams is a serviceable starter. You think this team couldn't use a Bryce Williams? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I think they could use Bryce Williams. I know he couldn't guard, but like I feel like one person not being able to be really good defensively would be okay on this team if they could put the ball in the hole. Yep, and the problem is that one guy you're talking about right now is a 5'9 guy that gets hunted on defense, and they're asking him to be their primary scorer now at joiner out, which is just – play 36 minutes a night when he didn't get – at a, a non-conference slate. <laughs> Let's say he got zero non-conference. It's a, I don't know. It's tough. Bracken and I have talked about this like ad nauseum, and like the one like, it's not even a benefit of the doubt. The one what if, if you had kept Joiner healthy and you let him play off the ball and kind of become more of a spot up off the ball shooter and let Ruffin handle the ball, would this have been better? I could see that, but sure, it didn't happen. And you know, you lose a Cal State Bakersfield transfer that can't sink it that bad. Anyway. We uh we got all deep in the weeds there. Well, we're gonna have to uh we're gonna have to dig deep to replicate that performance for baseball, which is why, which is the original purpose for this Zoom call. So, Ole Miss, we're under a month away from the season. Ole Miss comes out number five in D one's baseball poll. Um, honestly, the re I think some of the reaction to them being number five is probably best encapsulates the overall temperature and mood of this fan base. It's kind of the collective eye roll. Uh, here we go again. I tried to get the nickname Mr. February off the ground last year. I probably didn't try hard enough, but I guess just from uh, uh, thoughts on being ranked number five and then kind of give uh, us what you think the fan base's uh, feel for this season is, because I have a lot of so thoughts. Can, can I say this? I understand both. I understand the ranking so I. and I understand the, right. the, the fan base's temperature towards it. Um, I will say this. Ole Miss is never usually ranked this high at the beginning of the year. They're, they're usually, you know, 10 to 12 or whatever. Um, I'll say what I said last year, and I think it's – I think I'm right when I say this. It's the best team he's had since 09. 
I mean, Brian, this is a team that returned everything again from a really good lineup. And the unfortunate part is none of that matters. None of it matters until the second weekend in June. Yeah. Do you win two games that weekend? That's what's, that's what's so awkward about talking about this team um, from a fan base perspective. It's like they can do some great things from February to May. It doesn't matter. It's two, it's do you win two games the, the second weekend in June? And um, unfortunately, it's, it's at that point with this team and this program. I've always been the guy that, that honestly, that I, w- I don't want to say the postseason didn't bother me because it did, but I didn't just always, you know, base the season on how a team performed in the postseason. And to a degree, I still don't, but I'm at the point where I kind of, not kind of, I totally understand the fan base's frustration with uh, the lack of Omaha appearances. And, you know, it's, look, this team's really good. Um, I think this team, frankly, I think if it does not host a super regional, um, and by that I mean is not a national seed, I think they underachieved. I think they're, at, without a doubt, a top eight team in the nation. Um, if they're going to lose before they get to the College World Series, someone is going to have to do it in Oxford. But they can dang sure do it, too. Um, seen that plenty of times. So it's just a weird dynamic. I mean, yes, this team deserves to be ranked in – the in the top five of the nation and also this fan base deserves to be pissed off because they haven't gotten to Omaha since 2014 and only once uh in Mike Bianco's tenure it really is a fascinating dynamic for all of the reasons you just outlined and to add a little bit of color to it it's so we thought this in 2019 you and I started doing the super talk podcast for baseball the right. second half of 2019 when they were I mean hell I did one from the parking lot of some Marriott in Fayetteville like, we talked about this after the Black Monday, I think is what it, Chase dubbed it in 2018. And we went into that season talking about how no one's really going to care until that second week of June. And then the game started and people got bought in again. And to be right. completely honest, it was the players that had the most trouble getting over it that year. I don't want to say they didn't care. That's completely unfair. But you remember they kicked kind of a – Kind they of, weren't good. It was a funk, and it was just a – but, like, being around them every day, it was just kind of a – I don't want to call it, like, a trance or a haze, but you could see the lingering effects of what had happened the summer before on them, particularly when things went bad. And then they kind of right the ship, and they have that ridiculous run in Hoover, and they back in their way to host. And they lost to a better team in Fayetteville that day. Arkansas yep. was a better baseball team than Ole Miss was in 2019. And as currently constructed when they arrived in Tucson last year, Arizona was better than yep. You know, they lost the, you know, you lost Chofi, you lose Hoagland was the main one. You have your captain on one ACL. Like Arizona was better than Ole Miss. And it, on the surface, like it's okay. They lost two years in a row, got one game away from Omaha and just lost to a better team, but you can't, you, unfortunately, Mike doesn't really get that benefit of the doubt if, if that's even what it's called. It's just like it's it's part of a much longer, more tortured story and saga. And so that doesn't – like that goodwill is gone. And honestly, if that 2018 hadn't happened, he'd have probably still had a little bit of that goodwill. We're like, all right, he's close again coming off the 2014 performance. You would have well, liked to have gotten back to Omaha before. But losing a home region in 18 after you lose one with a pretty good coaching job in 16 – the goodwills evaporated, and I guess the last like the last thought on top of that was the whole no one's going to care thing didn't really come to fruition in 2019 
And then in 2020, it certainly didn't because they got off to that hot start and the season's canceled, which by default in 2021 was just kind of a clean slate just because they literally didn't play and didn't have a postseason, didn't have a championship. This feels different to me, and I'll give you the predominant reason it feels different. It's the third year of this kind of, oh, here we go again. And then the coach added to his own demise by the LSU shenanigans. That's, to me, the kicker that makes this different. All right, so here's here's the thing. We we talk about um, the fan base being pissed off because they lost the game three in Arizona. Brian, what if I told you that losing the game three in Arizona was the third worst thing that happened to Mike Bianco during last year's baseball season as far as from a fan base support standpoint at Ole Miss? That was the third worst thing. Can you guess the first two? Well, I can guess the first one, him driving to Birmingham to go meet about the LSU. I think that's actually number two. Okay, give me the one then. I was about to ask what – I'm missing one here. Bron, who won the national title last year? Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. That was a good call. That's (laughs) the Mississippi State Bulldogs. (laughs) It's it's true, though. Whether Ole Miss people want to admit it or not – and, look, I'm not doing the whole Mississippi State jab where, of course, y'all care just as much, blah, blah, blah. When the team program in your home state and kind of a state that's a college baseball state, that matters. You, you can't well, tell me otherwise. It's not even that it's Mississippi State necessarily for some people. Like, yeah, that, that bothers um, people. But what it is is, you know, and it's so weird of, a, of an argument or debate or whatever is you talk about scholarships and Ole Miss can't compete with some schools for recruits and that type thing, and they just look down the road and start one and say, well, those guys. And you're like, yeah, they're, they're better than you. Like, that's just the reality. Like, they do it better than you. Now, yes, does State have a, a, a little bit more help? Sure, I guess. Um, it's not why they're better than Ole Miss. Ole Miss could do exactly what Mississippi State is doing if they – I mean, if they – I'm not – I'm trying to word it carefully. They could can, they can win at the level Mississippi State is. Uh, for whatever reason, they just haven't gotten that done. Um, so, when you talk about Ole Miss having less scholarships than everybody else, yes, that's a relevant thing to discuss. It is not relevant in the context of discussing Mississippi State um, too much because State deals with a lot of same things Ole Miss does, and they're able to overcome it. Um, so, yeah, um, it's, it's not even necessarily – it is a rivalry thing for me. Um, but for some people, it's not. It's, it's, hey, look, they deal with that stuff, and they don't let it affect them, so why do we let it affect us? And that is a fair argument for me. And it was really just the cherry on top, them actually winning the whole thing. They went to Omaha three times in a row, and they win Super Regionals, and they make the most of the moment. You know, State's had more valleys than Ole Miss has since Mike Bianco's been sure. there. Shit, they've had a hell of a lot more peaks, and they make they make the most of them. And they and this goes into something that's hard to quantify, and some people probably, although I feel like more and more will be on this train, that uh, this this point I'm about to make. It's hard to quantify, and so it sounds stupid coming out of my mouth, but, like, State plays with a different edge. It's like the Jake Mangum effect. I'm not saying Jake Mangum invented it or it wasn't true before he played at Ole Miss – or, excuse me, before he played at State or it wasn't true, you know, after he left and they all wept and knelt at his feet and washed his feet or whatever. They treated that guy like a god. They have, like, an edge to them that they play with in the biggest moments, and Ole Miss doesn't have that. And that's not completely fair to the 20 – uh, 21 team, or really in some ways the 2019 team. But I don't know. State gets into a postseason and thinks good things are going to happen to them and Ole Miss thinks bad things are going to happen to them. And you can't tell me over the years that hasn't trickled down to the depth. I, I know for a fact it has. Maybe so. But 
Not the last two years, though. I'll give them that. But it's just in the long Mike Bianco story. So, yeah, that's the thing that I'm I'm kind of – I don't want to say tired of because, I mean, it doesn't bother me. But, like, well, look, Ole Miss should have been in the College World Series at uh, at least once in 18, 19, and 21. There's no denying that. But in 19 and 21, I I would very much argue uh, with anyone that said that team played tight. Like those two teams played tight. No, no, no. They, they just lost the better teams. Yeah. Um, and, and in the grand. Officially the one that broke it. Remember, that kind of became their mantra. Like they finally yeah. just loosened up in Hoover in that Tuesday game that Doug kept them in it. The one nothing yeah. went on Wednesday or whatever it was. Yeah, it was on Wednesday. Yeah. The Ninja Turtle bullshit. Not in right. a bad way. I like uh, Zach Phillips. But you're right. That team kind of broke Mike out of his show in that sense, which makes this is another sure. dynamic to add to this. Sure. And, and so what's unfortunate is. This team isn't tight compared to a team in 2018 that team uh, a team that played in 2018 that I would say is tight, uh, but unfortunately for them they still didn't get the result that they wanted. So everybody can still uh, harp on yeah they're playing tight. No, they didn't. They didn't lose 18 to two or whatever the hell it was to Arizona because they played tight. They lost because they had to start their closer in a game three. Um, that's why they lost. Um, so you know it. I don't know. It's a it's. It's such a weird conversation in a lot of different ways because if you just looked at the results outside of Omaha appearances and you can't do that, um, you'd say, wow, this is one hell of a baseball program. But you consider that they've been to Omaha one time in the last 21 years under Mike Bianco, and it's like, well, what's the problem there? Why can't they get there? And it's a fair question. Um, and, and here's my question for you. Let's just pretend for fun that Ole Miss in 2005 and in 2007, Brian, make the College World Series, okay? Let's just pretend after that they have the same results afterwards. I think people are still probably pissed off at this point. Like, I don't think 2005, 2007, 2009, 2006 matter anymore. I think the results to piss everybody off are 18, 21, and 19. Is that, is that fair? I don't think, like, the first part of his tenure is relevant at any, any point of this conversation. Yeah, I, I think you're right to a degree because – so if they had made one – let's just say they made two. Can you give them like 06 and 09 or 05? Sure, 06 and 09. and 09, they win. So that's three appearances. I think people are still like annoyed and upset. But when you have two other trips to Omaha, like the, I guess the uh, – I guess what I'm getting at is there would be more of a – all right, this is annoying. This guy needs to get it together, but we have more proof of concept that he has sure. done it before. Like if he has three Omaha appearances in his first six years, or I guess that would be his first not eight, eight years. I can't do math on the job. And then only one in his last 11, but he's been consistent in hosted home regionals. You're sitting there. Um, it's almost like the Cincinnati Mick Cronin thing, or like the Florida state um, Leonard Hamilton thing. We're like, you're a really good program, but can we like somehow get over the hump? There's a better example I'm missing out there somewhere. I think the uh, I think the angst would be less. I think you're right. Sure. I think people would still be annoyed at how it turned out, but I think it's relevant in the sense that people can say one in twenty-one or whatever it is, and then people can point to the home super regional chokes in '09 and '05 and '06. Where if you didn't have two of those to point to, I think people would still be kind of annoyed by the fact that they've gone seven years going on eight without an Omaha appearance. But, like, there's more – I hate to use this cliche, but, like, more tradition and history there to where it's like, all right, he's going to get back there eventually. This hasn't fallen off a cliff. To where when you don't reach the ultimate goal, 
19 times in 21 years or 20 like 20 times in 21 years, I think it changes it. Like I think three so, for 20 is different than one. All right. So I'll say this. Um, and here's what's interesting a little bit to me is I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, f- I figure you were old enough during this time to follow Ole Miss baseball. I think the 2007 Ole Miss baseball team was affected. Now, look, they lost to a better Arizona State team, let's be real. But I think they were affected in a Super Regional because they had lost two Super Regionals in a row. I do not think the 2022 Ole Miss Rebels will give the slightest of dams that they lost two Super Regionals in a row. Like, I don't think that – for whatever reason, I don't feel like there's a monkey on the back of the players so much as there's one on the coach, if that makes sense. Like, I think it, I think it weighed on that program in 2007 and 2009 that they haven't been to the College World Series um, in so long, whereas I don't feel that type of pressure on the players this year, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think it's going to bother Tim Elko or Kevin Graham or Justin Bench that they've lost two Super Regionals in a row from the standpoint that it's going to affect their play. No, because none of them were there in 19. I mean, Elko. Well, yeah. Yeah, like, they were. Graham played, Bench, and Elko played. So, hold on. Or, excuse me, 18. Sorry, Black 18, Monday. right. But, yeah, no, it's because I don't really put 18. Like, excuse me, I meant 18. Because 19 is just, okay, you lost. Your freshman pitcher wasn't as good as you thought he'd be in that in Hoagland. He didn't really stand a chance. Sure. Like, 18, to me, is the dropping off point. But the, what you're talking about, uh, the 07 deal, I'll go one step further. Don't you think it affected 08? Because that 07 team made a super. Oh, hit. yeah. They only had like two pitchers. I like your analogy, but do you remember we did this exercise one day during a midweek game? If you look at Old Miss's 2008 roster and you're like, how did this team not go to Omaha? How did this team not win the whole the whole thing in some senses? They had lost three super regionals in a row because that 07 team, they were good. You're right. They lost to a better uh, Arizona State team. Then what, that was one of the teams that they had like two pitchers. Like, and they just tried to piece it together. But that 018 had so much talent, got to number two in the country. Did they miss Hoover? Or did they, no, no, they made Hoover as the eighth seed and actually wound up playing in the championship game. But they had to essentially win like two or three games in Hoover to get in. Yes, that's exactly what it was. That team to me where it was like, all right, this is the fall off. I think you're right, though. Like your point is still well stated to where I don't think it's going to bother Kelvin Graham. Don't think it's really going to bother Derek Diamond. Don't think it's going to bother Peyton Chatagnier. Don't think it's going to bother Justin Bench. The way it did a Greg Kessinger, a Thomas Dillard, a Cooper Johnson, because, look, again, they lost to two better teams. We keep hammering the point home. Yeah. 2018 was bad. Like, if you talk about developing real scar tissue, you develop it from nights like Tennessee Tech, not losing on the road in game three of a super to a ridiculous offense in 2021, so, and a combination of a better offense and a better pitching staff in 19. I, I think that genuinely I've, – I've tried to go – look, I've been an old Miss fan for a long time. I'm not going to hide that. I think that was genuinely a top three worst moments of my old Miss sports fandom was, was Tennessee Tech. Like, I tried to go back and, like, I think Laquan is, is one and then fourth and 25 is probably two. I think that one's three. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, one, that one stung for a long, long time because that, that team was, man – they were talented enough to win the entire thing. And these four, like the, the, the outside forces in sports that no one knows how to <laughs> articulate or acknowledge, the, the whatever inning it was where they were, because I was watching this in Cincinnati, yeah. Ohio, after a Reds day game, and I missed the first couple innings, but I, I, I caught the storyline pretty quickly. Whatever inning they were up one nothing and left second and third on base, 
I could feel it through the television about what was about to happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, they had bases loaded, one out, and Tyler Keenan up, and I think a 3-2 count, and Moth strikes him out, where if Keenan hits a ball in the gap there, that thing's over. Yep. And, like, and, that – that, but once that didn't happen, you could feel the air come out of that place. And that's really yep. the last, like, Mike Bianco demons thing that has happened to them. Like we mentioned, the last couple of years, just gotten beat by a better team. But, you know, that's not the full story. As it pertains to this year's team, without sure. – you know, we have media day – and all that, we got plenty of time to to dissect this roster. Like you mentioned, it's arguably the best offense in college baseball. Um, yeah, I think it is. I mean, look, when you say arguably the best offense in the SEC, you're talking about the same thing with the you know one or two right. exceptions. They're, I mean, they return everyone. You're going to have Dunhurst, Chatagnier, Bench, Gonzalez. I imagine it's Elko Graham center Elko and Graham. I mean, it's everyone. I mean, they, you got to replace. I know this like isn't a big deal, but a human body has to go into Kel Baker's place in the lineup. So I'm interested to see who that is. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's Kemp Alderman. It's some combination of Kemp Alderman and Hayden Leatherwood. Like, I get, that's what I was go, about to go to next. If those guys, and look, I, Hayden Leatherwood, I thought, didn't get some of the benefits of the doubt. I know his splits weren't exactly great at all times, but I thought he should have gotten stuck with, I guess, more when he yeah. was struggling. So well, if you if you get Alderman going, like if Alderman becomes a real SEC hitter, there's no holes in this lineup one through nine, one through ten. There's just not. Yeah, I'll ask you because because I want your opinion on this. I, I've just gotten the sense um, from what I've kept up, read, and talked to people that there's some belief that Kemp Alderman's going to be able to play baseball at the SEC level pretty well this year. Have you kind of felt that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, there was some of that last year. He just, yeah. you know. I mean, some of the it wasn't even as much velocity stuff as it was everything else that was fastballs, from what I remember, like from last year. And oh no, the the pitch he hit over the fence to beat LSU was like ninety three miles an hour, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's it's the it's the uh, it's the Pedro Serrano syndrome, which happens yeah. to a. Yeah, I call it the Chase Cockrell syndrome, but whatever. <laughs> okay, that's probably actually a better example. Uh, that guy was a batting practice legend. He hit. Yeah, I, Chase had a great year in 2018. Then for whatever reason, just just had a bad year in 2019. I feel awful for that guy. Uh, I he missed an opportunity. That stupid tent they built out there. He could have destroyed that in uh in in. He had unreal power. It really was. I remember walking up to a media availability at the beginning of the year, not really knowing who he was, and he hit two out to, like, right center. And I, I looked at Chase, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, <laughs> like what, what in the world? Did you just see those two balls? And, yeah, it just kind of happened. But, like, again, I, I, I do. It does sound like they believe, like, in that sense. There's so many guys that have beaten that. You know what I mean? Like, the first year they struggle. Look, it's everything – Anytime you go up a level in baseball, the guy that's the new guy says, well, the breaking balls bend a little harder and the right. a little faster. It happens. It's an if. You need to watch it come to fruition. But they seem pretty confident. I agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's, that, there's no holes. Right. It's like, you know, we, we talk about Cockrell. Like, he struggled in 2017 with the breaking ball. And then 2018, he's a really, really good player. And you kind of hope that's the same thing that happens for Camp is he's able to, to spit uh, – on breaking balls and attack fast balls and um, obviously he's going to be able to hit in the bottom of the order so they probably attack him more with fastballs right um and 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 look the reality of the situation is if you can't handle velocity at this level then you can't play um i've never seen an Ole Miss team outside of maybe one in 2017 not handle velocity well 
um, it's kind of a staple of, of Clement's offense, and they're able to handle velo. Um, Ole Miss doesn't get beat by velo at all. It's it's really sinker balls that sinker ballers and two seam guys that really give them problems. Um, but yeah, they, you you just kind of think that if Alderman's able to handle velo, um, and he probably will be, that if he's able to recognize spin and hit spin, um, that he's a guy they can put in right field and DH and and man probably make their lineup better. Honestly. And, you know, we, we haven't even mentioned yet, and this hadn't even gotten to the newcomers, is a healthy Calvin Harris. Cal Harris, yeah, um, who had a really big home run in the regional last year, uh, gave Ole Miss some breathing room against Southern Miss, yeah. Um, I think he's an option at DH against right-handers. It's interesting. Um, I think there is a world, um, and I'll, I'll just say it. I, I listened to Clem on, on Ben's podcast a few weeks ago. He, he mentioned Justin Bench going back to center field I'm um, moving TJ McCants to right field and playing Reagan Burford at third base. And that, that sparked my antennas because man, if you can move bench back to center field and have a, have a dynamic athlete in TJ McCants and right field, that makes that uh, defense really, really good. It was a, it was, we had this, it wasn't even a debate because we were on the same side of it, but we posed that question how many times last year to where, you know, they moved bench around as they were trying to figure out some things in the lineup and McCants became a solid option. But, like, they were their best outfield when Justin Bench was in center and you didn't have the pressure of T.J. McCants because he had some bad moments in the outfield yeah. as a freshman. But, I mean, that's to be expected for a kid. Was he not an infielder coming out of high Yes, school? he came in as a shortstop. Yeah, I was about to say. I, I remember that being the case. So, like, it was like, okay, this isn't great, but, like, it, you can't necessarily blame the kid. That would be a huge deal if you could move Justin Bench. I assume Justin Bench is going to play third and Tim Elko is going to play first, like, at opening day. But, like, if you could move him out there and get the uh, Burford kid um, out in the outfield – or, excuse me, in the infield, that's another aspect of it. And, you know, Garrett Wood is another infield kid that their yep. team's pretty high on and had a pretty good fall from what it sounds like. And so, I guess what I'm getting at is you're pretty much 10 deep from guys yeah. you feel fairly confident about before you get into a single newcomer. Look, it's a scary proposition for opponents, look, I guess. Look, this offense is going to rake. I don't I don't really care. Like, there's some Friday night arms in this league that are, that are probably going to have some success against them. I would think Landon Sims is probably going to throw on Fridays for State. Um, he's going to be really tough to beat. Just kind of going through. I mean, you know, it's they're, look, they're going to have some dudes um, – on, on Friday nights, but man, th where this offense is going to make hay is on Saturday and on Sunday, they're going to mash. I mean, they mashed last year on those days. So, um, it's not going to be an offensive problem. It, uh, it all comes down to those dudes taking the bump. If those guys are good, then Ole Miss is going to be really, really good. And if they're not good, Ole Miss is going to be good. Like, that's the thing. If, if they're not good, then Ole Miss is going to be a 15 or 16 seed hosting a regional. But if they're good, and, and they're serviceable and can play. I mean, we're talking about a number three to four to five national seat. Um, so it just kind of fills in where they fit. And on your point about Friday night, guys, look, this league has them every year, right? I mean, that's yeah. why it's the Southeastern Conference. That's why it's the best league in America by far. But over the last two years, and it could go back a year or two further, and maybe I just can't remember that well, it's been a ridiculous starting pitching league. You're not going to have as much of that this year, just going off the top of my head. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, like – No, you're you right. The I'm sitting here thinking about it. Like, there, there's not the front – there's not as many front-line first, second-round prospects in rotations in the SEC as you've had the last three years. No. Where at a certain time, every opponent you face, you're like, well, Friday night's going to be a bitch. Glad you got Gunner and Doug. 
that's not the case as much this year. Just going, I even just went through in my head in the West. It's yeah. definitely the case in the East too. So I'm going through it in my head, and I mean, like Texas A&M lost their Friday guy. LSU lost their Friday guy. I can't remember for the life of me who Arkansas threw on Friday nights. Um, I don't. Oh, it was uh, Wicklander. I think Wicklander's back. I could be. I could be wrong about that. Um, State's going to move Sims to Friday night, which is a nightmare. And then Alabama and, and Auburn. I don't think Alabama's kid that had Tommy John will be back. So I can't remember his name. And then yeah, I mean, so South Carolina, who I think you play this year, in Columbia is not very good. Missouri is. I don't really care. Um, so yeah, th- there's not the the usual suspects. Now look. This is the SEC. There will be Friday night dudes that show up in their first round picks or whatever that we don't know their names right now. Um, but no, this this isn't the year where there's a Tanner Burns on Friday nights and and that type thing that you got to go, you got to face dude after dude after dude on Friday night. No, 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 it's it's not that. So it could be a really offensive year in the league, which obviously at that point benefits Ole Miss. Oh, it absolutely does. And they uh, you actually do not get Whit- Whitlander back. Um, okay. He is gone. And then the kid that had the Tommy John, I was looking this up in live action, full disclosure, I did not remember this top of my head. The Antoine Jean kid for Alabama. The, no, the- no, no. It's not it's not Antoine Jean. I can't remember his name. God. Um Gene was a Gene was their Sunday guy. Oh, you're right. This, this kid did pitch. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember his name either. I uh I don't see him anywhere on this roster. Tommy. Yeah, because he let's see. Ah, God, because he's gonna be like the first pick in the dra- in the draft. Oh it man, not sound like he's back. We're still in early season form because Connor Prelet. Yeah, Connor Prelet. That's exactly what it was. The uh, <laughs> by the time we get to March, the amount of random SEC pictures from the last roughly half decade that get brought up on the podcast. He will miss twenty twenty two, so he's not. He will not pitch for the Crimson Tide this year, so won't get him either. Yeah, it's a. It's not a a lot of returners on Friday night for sure. I mean, even state who's going to, I mean, state lost theirs. Now look, they've got an easy fix, but um, you know, it's, it's some guys got to get replaced. I mean, and that's, that's an old Miss too. Name LSU's off the top of your head. I bet you can't cause I can't either. Well, Cole Henry left. So no idea. I mean, you're talking uh, I mean, about the Garrett Edwards Fontenot, but like, I don't think either one of those are bona fide Friday night guys. You know, no. what I mean? like, like I, I, name me LSU's Friday night guy. You could make up a name, and I'd be like, I'm right, sure that sounds that sounds okay. Like it's it's not in Arkansas's. I can't. I don't. I don't remember what wound up happening with his injury, but Arkansas's quick fix was Peyton Paulette, who hurt his arm at the end of last year, and I'm not 100 percent sure he's back. Um, now Georgia's it's, got. It's, 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 yeah, that is true. But outside of Sims, if you're talking about a top-line pitching in the SEC West, isn't Peyton Paulette is about as established as anyone you're going to face in the West? I mean, yeah. they lost a bunch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A&M lost their Friday guy. Um, yeah, it's it's a not great year for uh, for pitching in the SEC just from a what's returning standpoint. Um, it does it, look like Peyton Paulette will return in 2022, though. The Micah Dallas kid for A and M is okay. Yeah, I forgot about him. But like you know, but that's that's not uh, that's no. not Alex Lang. No, almost <laughs> beat him in in Arlington last year. Yeah, that's not that's not Aaron Nola. Like no, it, no, no, no. It's, it's none of you don't really have that, particularly on the West side, which I think will benefit at Ole Miss in some aspects. On the flip side of that, Ole Miss has to find some dudes that could chuck the uh, chuck the old rock here. So. Yeah. 
going into this year, it sounds like at least just best guess it is Derek Diamond and the two newcomers. Does that shock yep. you at all? What do you? Uh, the two newcomers, no. The Derek Diamond. I mean, it depends on the role, right? Like, I'll be honest. Yeah, it'd be a little surprising, not necessarily in a bad way, um, if he took the ball on Friday night, uh, February the eighteenth. Like that, that would surprise me a little bit because, you know, I just we've seen Derek Diamond for two years, and it's you know the the results have been mixed. Um, so what that tells me is if he takes the ball February 18th, man, hey, man, that guy had a great offseason. Okay, he's ready to roll. Let's go. Um, but the, the thing is with him, you've seen it for two years and you've had mixed results. So, you know, hopefully if, if it is Derek Diamond, he will have had, you know, a really good, really good spring and a really good fall. And I know he, I'm pretty sure he did have a really good fall. Um, is and, he and healthy? Have we declarified that? You know, there was that whole I, – I believe he is healthy. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I, I don't have any reason to not believe he's healthy. I feel like that would have come out by now. Yeah, I do too. Um, I he pitched right this there. fall. I think I'm 90% sure he pitched some this fall. I could be wrong on that, but I'm almost, not, I'm almost 100% sure. Um, but no, I mean, look, D- Derek's got the stuff. There's no doubt about that. I mean, this is a cat they trotted out game one of a super regional game, game one of a regional. Um, they trusted him in the postseason. And, and you know, so – it wouldn't, wouldn't totally shock me if he's the Friday night guy at all. Um, tells me he's had a really good offseason and, and that he has a chance to have a good 2022. But the thing with Derek Diamond is it, you got you to gotta see it before you believe it. Um, I know a lot of Ole Miss fans feel that way, which is fair. And, and I, I think he's going to get every opportunity. I'll say that. Whether it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think Derek Diamond is going to get every opportunity to start in this rotation because he is immensely talented and deserves that opportunity. Um, I'm interested to see which role he gets to fill, though. Something crazy happens every year that we're not thinking about, and like no, someone we don't really know yet becomes awesome. But like on paper, he has to have a role. Like if he's a non-factor, they're in big trouble. And you talk about you have to see it first. Don't you have to see it over a a, a couple months? Because yeah, you know the kind of the intricacies of pitching and baseball a hell of a lot better than I do. Derek Diamond in Arlington last year was awesome. Derek Donald in April in Starkville was not. And I, I yeah. guess the, the – look, the simplest way to describe that is there was a velocity drop-off and then everything tailed off slightly with that. Like, is that is that an injury thing, do you think? And the, the – like, do you think that was related to the elbow thing they had or it just it just tapered off? Like, what goes into that? Um, I – say this. I, I don't really feel comfortable saying it was because of the injury because I simply don't know. Yeah. Um. I, I think some of it, and I think this is a real thing, I think some of it is that was the most he's probably ever pitched in his life. Um, some fatigue may have set in. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Um, but I do know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, he made Team USA but did not pitch because of the injury right after the Super Regional. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think logic tells you that the injury may have played some part in the velocity drop. Um, so, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Obviously, the kid's immensely talented. Um, and, and I think he, if he puts it all together, he's, he's got a chance to be a stud. He's got to be a, ch- a chance to be really, really good. But, um, and look, now, I, I want to say this. A lot, of, a lot of Derek's issues have sometimes been mental makeup and some, some mental toughness things. And people are I've, – I've, I've heard from people already that say, you know, it's not something you just, you know, roll out of bed and fix. And while it's not um, – I have seen pictures at Ole Miss 
I've seen pitchers at Ole Miss not overcome it, and I've seen pitchers at Ole Miss overcome it. Chris Ellis for two years was was not very was not very good when he should have been, um, and then the third year he was an absolute freak show on the mound. Um, and I think that's kind of the role. I shouldn't say role. I think that's kind of the path you kind of hope Derek Diamond takes is that, you know, he doesn't have a great first two years. There's some some things you wish he would have done better. And then, then the, the third year, he, he forms into what he probably should be. Um, and, and that's probably your ace. Because I think if we just did it from a stuff standpoint, um, it's, it's Derek Diamond, it's Jack Washburn, um, who I'm sure we'll get into in a minute as to who has the best stuff on the team. And, and Derek's been through the battles in the SEC, so if he's able to put this together, I mean, he could form himself into a very, very uh, decent Friday night guy for Ole Miss. Yep, and that's the one thing you're lacking that you had the comfort of the last two seasons was you knew you had one day figured out. And I know Doug ended up pitching on Saturdays last year, but you knew you had one figured out, and then it became very evident, even in 2020, but you kind of wanted to see it against SEC competition in 2021 that uh, Gunnar Hogan was actually good. There was something to that Pirates pick in, uh, <laughs> in, 20, uh, in 2019 or whatever the hell it was. doesn't matter. Like, he was quite good. You don't have that front-line talent, but you don't have to have it when you have an offense like that. You need a right. bullpen and you need an offense that rakes. Unless something crazy happens, you got one of those two. But you also can't be a disaster there. This is the SEC. Like, you need to be good on the back end. And look, at least you're not relying on two guys that have never been on that stage before. Like Jack Washington right. pitched at Oregon State. I know John Gaddis is a junior college kid, but to me – No, 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 D1 transfer. Gaddis? Yeah, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Oh, that is – sorry, I just assumed – I say assumed. I just had in my head as a uh, – as a, as a, uh, just – No, uh, DeLucha is, is a JUCO kid. No, Delusia is a JUCO kid. Texas A&M right. Corpus Christi, is that the SWAC? Have I talked to their coach? Before? No, no, it's it's the Southland. So, uh, okay. like, where McNeese State that. is. Okay, I don't know why I thought that was a junior college. But to the point, not the quite the same stage, but at least you got one of these kids that has been on this stage before. Sure. But it sounds like by all things, uh, you know, by, by all accounts, those are the two guys that may get the first shot at it. And at least with the Washburn kid, you got somewhat of a sample size and you feel okay about it. Like from the on paper stuff, from like a velocity and stuff standpoint, it checks the boxes. I'd just like to see it in action. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the thing about it, man, like I know people have always kind of thought, hey, you got to be great on the mound. You don't. You just got to be good. And you got to have a bullpen and you'll be all right because this team's going to probably average eight runs a game in SEC play because they're, they're absurd offensively. That may be a little too high, but, like, it wouldn't shock me at all if this team averages scoring, like, 20 runs a weekend. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a really good, really good offense, man. You just got to find somebody that can compete in the strike zone, throw maybe two or three pitches for strikes, and um, somebody that can lock it down on the back end. You know, we talk about Gunner and Doug, right? Um, biggest two losses but boy there was a third pitcher that they lost that uh he was nails on the back end they got to get that replaced too yes they did and you're talking about taylor broadway and that's probably his like i guess kind of last thoughts on the rotation is there a guy that you think that could end up in the rotation or two guys that we're not thinking about because rarely does the rotation on opening um, end up being the rotation at the end of the year if it does sure. that means all things went well for Ole Miss but like i mean doherty's an obvious choice um, I don't know really what to make of Drew McDaniel. Uh, for the sake of the sanity of people listening, I don't want people driving off the road. I'll take Josh Mallett's off the list. 
Like, is there anyone else out there that you think, okay, this wouldn't stun me if this guy actually became like hell a decent number two and kind of took a, uh, I say a Doug leap. Doug was good from the time he stepped on campus. Yeah. It kind of became something of that mold. Not a Doug, but like this guy's an actual two. I'll give you two names. Um, Dylan Delucia, uh, I just said, the Juco kid from Florida, wouldn't, wouldn't totally shock me. Um, and another one who, who I think is, is maybe taking some strides in fall ball. Maybe I'm wrong here. Um, Hunter Elliott, freshman from Chupelo, left-hander. Um, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to have a role this year. I could, could be wrong. I, I heard Clem mention him on uh, on um, Ben's podcast, and and I think he's he's maybe had a velo uptick. I could be wrong there, but, but I kind of heard he had a velo uptick um, since he had gotten to Oxford. And man, I don't know. I, I think I think Elliot Delucci. If you told me, hey, somebody's going to start one of the first three games that is not Der- or like there's going to be an open slot. Uh, Derek Diamond with Jack Washburn or, or John Gaddis is that's not going to be the rotation. If you said someone else is going to take that spot, I think my first two guesses would be uh, Delucci and, and Hunter Elliott. Interesting. I admittedly don't know a ton about the Elliott kid because I'm not around the program very much anymore, but I, I would I would buy it. Uh, another one that I threw out there for a second was Drew McDaniel, where he's had moments where you're like, okay, there's something here, and then it's like, okay, maybe this is what he is. What do you think his ceiling and role is? Um, I wonder – maybe I'm wrong. I wonder if Drew is, is the guy that – you remember Aaron Greenwood? Yes. I wonder if he's that guy. Like, for two, three innings, like, he's just going to come in and he's going to kick your teeth in and that's going to be his job for the weekend. And maybe he gets you a save in game three. Um, I just wonder if if Drew is is the guy that in short bursts is better. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I just – I kind of thought that last year uh, towards the end of the year, obviously, when he struggled, that maybe he's not the guy that can get you through the order two or three times. He seemed like a guy that was going through the third time, maybe struggled a little bit. Um, so I wonder if he's a guy they can kind of use in his extended bullpen arm, um, kind of like they did Greenwood in 2014. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think, look, I think Drew's got a lot of good stuff and, uh, and, and some, um, you know, he's got obviously a high low fastball at times and I think he's got good off speed. So I, look, there's a role for him in this program. Um, but it's his third year here. Uh, he's a highly rated kid. They're, they're going to have to find a spot for him and, and he's going to have to be successful for him. It is a bit of a put-up or shut-up year in that sense for Drew McDaniel. When and Diamond. Yeah, absolutely, Derek Diamond, which is probably the biggest – I think they can figure it out in the pen. I honestly think there's a chance the bullpen overall is better than it was last year, which sounds kind of nuts in some ways. But I, I would certainly buy that. I think well, the, I mean, the pen wasn't great outside of Doherty and Broadway and Johnson. Right. I, I mean, think it'll it was, be better this year. The biggest yeah, question, I mean, you know, facing this team is like, do you are you good enough on Friday and Saturdays and once you get the SEC played? Like that's the biggest thing. It's yeah. good enough. Or not dominant. Like you like I don't think they can win plenty of games without having someone to go up against a Micah Dallas or, you know, we just talked about they're not being really that guy. There's gonna be good pitchers, guys we've never heard of yet that'll end up being very good. But like if there's ever a year, I guess, to not have a bona fide guy, or I guess you could look at it either side. If you have a bona fide guy, you get a hell of an advantage. But like, yep. they just need to be good enough on those first two nights, in particular. The bullpen, though, last year, like you said, they weren't very good outside of Broadway, Doherty, and Johnson. And do you remember what uh, Doherty and Johnson had in common? 
No one knew they existed um, until April. Nobody knew they existed on May 1st. So, what, like, I don't think, I don't foresee that happening this year. At least you have a couple of known commodities there. God, I would hope for their sake that that doesn't happen. Do, do you remember that, um, like, Jack Doherty throws, like, a midweek game, and, and, and I'm driving down the road, like, listening on the radio. I'm like, who the hell is Jack Doherty? And he, like, K's six people and, like, six at bats. And we're like, excuse wh- who is this cat that almost his pen is struggling and this kid existed? It was like April 28th or something because no one was watching that game. And I think it was a game they were kind of puttering around in. And Mike was like, to hell with it. We'll just throw this kid we thought we were going to redshirt. And then all of a sudden he looked like, you know, Sandy Koufax or some shit, just blowing fastballs by guys and became their second most important bullpen arm. With respect to Thompson, Doherty was more consistent. He is the kid they put on the mound with their season on the line. (laughs) He was supposed to redshirt all the way through April, basically, until one day Mike was like, I've had enough of this. we got to try something different. He was the Grant Slatton of baseball. <laughs> Kemp Alderman and, and uh, Jack Doherty's redshirts just went magically away around the end of April because screw it. I don't know. Let's try something. And then Brandon Johnson was the guy that, like, you yeah. see in very brief spurts, and you're like, hey, is, you know – as much uh, as much leeway as all uh, Mr. Mallets gets here, can can you give this guy an inning? Like, what's you saw it in February? I can't remember. It was the Texas. In Texas. Game, maybe? Yeah, and it was like Jesus. Who is this dude? And then you didn't do really you, see him again. And so, do you remember what he did in Texas? Not really. So, I know he had an absolute dynamite inning where he would. So just, he like he like dominates Texas. I think for the first inning, maybe it was maybe it was just one inning, but like he strikes out the first kid. It's like 96, 96, 96. And I think it was the second or third batter. They hit a, they hit a pop-up to third base, and Elko's, like, camped under it. And my man, uh, Brandon Johnson, just took off from the mound to try to go catch it and take it away from Elko. That was, that was, that was one of the you – know, you know he had to play on some bad high school teams where he had to go catch the ball after he pitched it. I like that mentality. But, like, <laughs> you had those two dudes, and that was kind of it. And yeah. This year, you have those two guys back. You do have to replace a very, very good uh, closer in Taylor Broadway. But, man, if you end up with three or four options out of the bullpen, doesn't that end up being, a, by default, a better situation? Because the way they the way they had to lean on Broadway for the last seven weeks of that season was not necessarily healthy or sustainable. And I don't necessarily no. think like the whole Mike Bianco, you'll throw his arm off thing. It was just not a great, like, conducive situation um, because no. – if he has a bad day, you're screwed. Like, there's yeah. no it's, going back to him. I think they could have a more healthier mix, even though they don't have the back-end guy that's his dominant. Sure, sure, sure. So, it – I'll make sure I say this right. It takes a special kid and a special player to do what Taylor Broadway was asked to do last year. Is that fair? Like, not yeah. everybody can do that. Um, and I'm not talking about, like, from a stuff standpoint. For how much they asked him to do, um, from throwing, you know, 1.2 innings on Friday night in the regional, two on Saturday, two on Monday. Like, not everybody can do that. So, you got to be able to develop some depth. Um, and I think they're going to try to do that with Doherty and with Johnson with maybe Braden uh, Jones, I think is his last name, kid from, from Madison Ridgeland, um, Hunter Elliott, DeLucha, McDaniel. Um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Wes Burton, I think Wes Burton contributes this year. Can I give you one um, that no one's talking about? Sure. My man, Maxwell Chofi. Max Chofi's back. 
Max Trophy's that's back. That's a now. huge one. Off. That was a huge. How many times could they have used him last year? The seventh well, inning and A&M, the sixth inning in Starkville. I mean, how many times well, could they have used that dude? Right. Um, and Max no one Trophy was really good in 2020, the COVID shutdown year. And um, the last four – I looked it up before we recorded. The last four starts of 19, he was quite – or excuse me, four appearances of 19, he was quite really good. good and that ball was starting to get rolling. Okay. I, yeah, I forgot. He, you know, obviously with him not pitching last year, I forgot about him. Yes, that would that, certainly an option. Um, you know, so it's look they got some guys, and and you you the thing with the bullpen man, and and sometimes and this pisses fans off, and I get it because um, I don't like losing either. But at some point during the first of the year, you got to find out what these cats can do um, and what they can't do. And and you're gonna have to put some guys on the mound and maybe some uncomfortable and unfamiliar situations and see what happens and and see how they perform so you know what you got when it's time to win ball games that really really matter in SEC play. And and like last year where it got to the point to where like okay now it's not great. Um, I can't even go. I, I would I would have to go back to last year's roster to go down the list of guys that it was like okay you can't trust him. Kimbrel became one of them. Kimbrel's going to have to. I mean he he's going to have to contribute because he's one of the few left-handed options out of the pen. Well, I was about to say the last year it was Kimbrell or nothing, right? He was the only lefty they had. They Besides he, Nikhazy on a Monday afternoon at Southern Miss, but yeah. <laughs> Which is probably exactly indicative of what we're talking about here, right? Like, Yeah. It, it getting to that point is pretty telling. What um, At least this year – there are a couple of newcomers that sure. throw with their left hand that at least from fall reports and a couple of other things will have real chances to contribute as freshmen to where last year, once it became clear you could not trust Jackson and Kimberly, it's just like, all right, sweet, we don't have any lefties. You know? Well, and um, the thing was, like, Jackson Kimberly had one hell of a year last year because, like, he started out well, and it's like, wow, we have a lefty bullpen arm. And then it went to crap. And then the whole bullpen went to crap. And it's like, well, if it's all going to be bad, let's at least try the lefty again. And then all of a sudden, like, he wasn't awful in his last few appearances. And it's like, well, maybe that kid can't help us one day. So, um, no, I think Jackson Kimbrell is going to, uh, to, to help this team in some way or another. I mean, you know, you, you're, you're going to – you got to count on guys. You got to give guys that you still have in your program as juniors or as third-year players an opportunity. And I, I think he's going to be a guy that, look, I mean, he's got to – Got a good changeup, um, throw, throws hard enough. Um, location's an issue, and that's a problem when you don't don't throw overly hard. Jackson certainly isn't. I mean, he's 89 to 91, but he's, he's not burning down radar guns. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's a guy that will see innings this year for Ole Miss, but he's, he's going to have to show that he can perform in situations pretty early too. And the newcomer, you talk about Hunter Elliott. He is yes. a left-handed guy. Like, at least there's reinforcements. There was another right. kid that Mike mentioned a couple of times throughout the fall. Luke Ellis is another freshman lefty that at least grew right. into the 90s. Again, we're just throwing out guys. I'm not telling you that either one of those or any of them are going to have some major role. But at least there are options to where, again, like I keep saying, last year it was like, I right, if you don't have Kimbrell, there are no left-handed options. But that kind of encapsulates the bullpen as a whole. Like, they could be better by committee, I think, um, or at least there's a chance. And, you know, look, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be the craziest thing to where – I mean, look, Ole Miss's best-case scenario, I think, is that the Gaddis thing works out. But, I mean, if not, I don't know how he projects as a reliever, but he is left-handed, which is kind of a rarity over the last three years of Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's factual. He is left-handed. Um, 
I don't know. It's going to be an interesting deal because I think, you know, look, obviously this offense isn't something you're worried about. So um, the first few weekends, that's, that's what I'm looking for is, is how the pitching performs in midweek games. I'm, I want to see how they perform on the mound because that's what's going to separate this team into being a national seed and a back-end host, which um, is a really big deal. I mean, you, you, would you rather be the 15 seed and having to go to, I don't know, um, Florida or Vanderbilt for a Super Regional, or would you rather be the five seed and host East Carolina or Oklahoma State? Um, one of those is a much easier path for the College World Series. And if Ole Miss is able to be good on the mound, um, I think they get the easier path. Now, I didn't say they get it done. I said they get the easier path. Um, if they're not very good on the mound, it's it'll be a back-end host-type team, and you're going to have to go fight your way to Omaha going through a Florida or a Vanderbilt or somebody like that, which has not turned up successful in the last two years. Yep, you're exactly right in that sense, and this is a conversation for another day, but if they don't screw up the Sunday game in Starkville or Texas A&M, they may have gotten that done last year. Yeah, or, you know, and Mike screwed those up, but if your first-round pick doesn't get hurt, you know, um, you, you you probably do the same thing. So, um, last year last year was such a weird year, man, because, like, yeah, I get it. Mike didn't get to Omaha again. Also, Mike coached his tail off, and that's why they got to one game short of the College World Series. Because if he doesn't do one hell of a coaching job from an overall perspective, they uh, they don't get to Arizona and force a game three. Also, the guy that I just said did one hell of a co- coaching job literally lost them two games by being. <laughs> it, it was a good coaching job with two catastrophic mistakes. Yeah. And that's not a, like, yeah, but. That's just, you have to take both as is. It's, it, it was a bizarre year. It was a fascinating <laughs> year, though, dude, and it was a lot of fun. We'll, uh, we got plenty of time to dive into this. This felt great. This felt like dusting the uh, rust off of this, the spring training of podcasting. Could we call it that? No, I'm glad we're getting spring training somewhere because it's not going to be in the MLB. That is true. I might actually engage in a lockout with Neil and Chase and refuse to work over <laughs> <laughs> just you, know, you got a you got a union uh, representing you. Exactly. I will uh, I will call my attorney, also known as my mother, and just tell Chase to lawyer up. I might send him a subpoena. I don't really know how that works, but we'll see. So uh, <laughs> there we go. Be prepared, dude. Be well. I appreciate the time as always, and we will uh, we will talk to you in a uh, couple weeks as we get this shit rolling. All right. Sounds good, my man. All right, that's our show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. It was good. Uh, it's good catching up with Colin. As I mentioned when we were talking in the beginning, uh, this podcast to me will always be synonymous with Colin and I talking baseball. I texted him last uh, last spring when I was first starting up this podcast, the newsletter. I was like, hey, you want to help me out with some baseball stuff? Talk about it once or twice a week, maybe once or twice a month. We'll see where it goes. And it turning into what it did and joining the Rebel Grove family and all that was was really gratifying and uh, really shocking in a lot of ways. I'm still kind of pinching myself at, at how all this has come about, and I really appreciate you guys listening and making this uh, a part of your day. Uh, if you've heard me say that a lot recently, I've, I kind of made a, a pledge in 2022 toward the end of 2021 to uh, kind of recognize and start saying that more uh, because I don't think people do that enough uh, in whatever you want to call this business. Um, but, you know, if no one listened and no one cared, it wouldn't be very much fun. So. Uh, I'm going to make it more of a habit to, uh, to be appreciative of that. And uh, thank you guys, if you made it to the end, for making this uh, a part of your day once again. And we will catch you on Mailbag Friday, the people's holiday. Get your questions in. We'll be back again tomorrow. Y'all have a great Thursday.